You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Can I just say, though, how amazing uh, God's been, how, how faithful He's been how, in sustaining us and working in us and, and bringing us through this past year and a half? Yeah, let's, let's, let's clap again. Like, seriously, uh, God has been awesome. But this, this, this is what God does. This is, this is what God does. This is who God is. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. So do not be afraid or discouraged. And I think the story of David and Goliath was a good setup for this. Um, but, but this verse in itself gives us an amazing string of promises, doesn't it, about God's faithfulness and his goodness, which, which are meant to ignite our own faith and our own perseverance during seasons of crisis and trial. And on that note, as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, we'll discover that it's also one of the lessons in which Jesus' disciples will learn and be reminded of firsthand. So if you want to turn with me to Luke 8, uh, verses, we'll be reading verses 22 to 26. Luke 8, verses 22 to 26. And it says this, One day, he and his disciples got into a boat, and Jesus told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And so they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Speaking of the word of the Lord, supposedly, um, you've probably heard this. There's probably those memes everywhere about this. Supposedly, there's 365 verses in the Bible which tell us to fear not. That's one for every day, right? And, and while I'm not sure if that count is, is accurate, uh, the point remains that there's a lot to be afraid of in this world. And God knows. And God knows we consistently need his reassuring voice and strengthening presence to, to help us walk in faith and not in fear. Though one could make a valid argument that the disciples had every right to be afraid that day on the boat. Because while a couple of them were fishermen, none of them were seasoned sailors, as, as far as we know. In fact, and as I was reminded this week in my studies, Israelites were not boat or seafaring people at all. They were desert nomadic peoples, right? Which means they were certainly out of their depth when the windstorm came along and started filling their boat with water. Add to that the fact that the Old Testament quite, quite often uses the imagery of crashing waves and large bodies of water as a metaphor for chaos and destruction and even God's anger or wrath. 
And, and, and who knows, maybe as the storm came rushing in, their minds could have drifted to the story of Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah, right? That disobedient prophet who found himself caught in a God-sent torrential storm while he also happened to be sleeping in a boat. In that case, the only way to stop the storm and, and ease God's anger, as well as the fear of all the sailors aboard with him, was for him to be thrown off the edge. And, and so in the same way, here was Jesus asleep in the boat while they're all yelling for their lives, thinking they'll be thrown off the edge as some sort of punishment or something like that. And so it's no wonder that they'd be screaming, Master, Master, we're all going to die! But as I said, in light of the situation with their, with their lack of ex- expertise and knowing what a storm often represents in the scriptures, I guess if we were in their shoes, we would be screaming right along with them. Right? Yes. <laughs> Though I'd have been screaming internally because I'm an introvert. My eyes would just be bugged out. Anyways, Jesus then awakens from his slumber without a worry in the world. He's like, ah, you know, like, ugh. and then in his authority and power, as the only son of God, he rebukes the wind. With a word, he brought peace and calm where there was once deadly chaos. Even the waves, which, which would normally continue to move for a while after a storm was passed, they were also instantly stilled. Then he turns to his disciples in the stillness, and he asks them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Such a good question. And being in a chaotic life and death situation certainly has the, has the means to reveal the answer to that question. In fact, God often uses moments of trials and crisis to test our faith, And as Jesus led them out into the lake that day to be tested, it's safe to say by his response to them that they they failed that test miserably. But my guess is that Jesus knew that they would. And in some ways, that's the point. Because while trials do test our faith, God also uses them to humble us and make us aware of our need for faith in order to draw us back to him to either put us or or allow us to get to that place of humility and desperation and repentance where we can do nothing but cry out to God to save us. It's in those moments where our pride in ourselves or in other idols is just completely squashed, right? When we realize that we can't do it on our own, that we can't control everything, and that we need to turn to the only one who can. And this is certainly something that we see happening with the disciples in this passage. They, they don't necessarily cry out with great faith in that moment, do they? But, but they do get to the end of themselves to the point where they can do nothing but cry out to Jesus to save them. And he does. He does save them. Why? Because Jesus himself is compassionate and faithful. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That's so comforting, right? So they may have failed the test of faith that day, but Jesus would show them through this experience that his faithfulness is sure and would be worth placing theirs in from that point on. 
And furthermore, Jesus was also displaying his authority to them, measured up against their inadequacy, right? And therefore teaching them how much they would truly need him and his presence and his power to strengthen them in their weakness if they were ever going to be able to boldly and courageously live out the holy calling which they'd been called for. He's showing them that they need him. And that's really the point of this lesson. It wasn't their, their fear in and of itself, which was the issue. Their fear was the symptom of a deeper issue concerning the lack of and the object of their faith. Faith in the Lord would have told them that he would take them through the storm. So before anything else, they needed to learn to trust in and rely on him, not only for their salvation from sin, which is foremost, but also if they were going to succeed in their calling and their purpose. As a theologian, Daryl L. Bach writes, Jesus takes the calming of the storm as an opportunity to remind them that he will care for them, that they need to have more faith in God's goodness. They need an applied faith that will hang tough under pressure. This is what he had earlier called holding to the word with patience. And and on that note, the book of Hebrews reminds us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And since Jesus implies that they could have shown faith in that boat, I think it's important to ask what in this situation should have given them grounds for faith? What should have given them assurance of hope? What should have given them conviction of things unseen? We're going to discuss that because there's multiple things, actually. And the first one is that they should have and could have been assured by Jesus' word and promise to them. His word and promise to them. Because before they got into the boat to go sailing, what did Jesus tell them? He told them they were going to go to the other side. And faith would have assured them that the Lord always keeps his word. Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. This this is what we do, right? This is God. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Jesus, the word of God incarnate cannot lie. So that, that means when he says something will take place, it will take place. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. If he says he's going to take them to the other side of the lake, then he's going to take them to the other side of the lake. But yet when they found themselves in the windstorm, their reaction seemed to imply that they didn't believe or no longer believed that he would. Warren Wiersbe writes, he gave them a word of command that was also a word of promise. They were going to the opposite shore. This word should have strengthened and encouraged the disciples during the storm, but their faith was still small. The disciples failed this test of faith because they did not lay hold of his word that he was going to the other side. And and so this is a reminder for us that in our moments of, of fear and anxiety, We can and should cling to the promises of God which are revealed to us in his word because he's faithful to keep them. His promises to us are how we know we'll reach the other side or the finish line 
whatever you want to call it. Their light at the end of the tunnel, the lighthouse in the storm, our motivation for the perseverance of our faith is are his promises. They're what keeps us moving forward in the assurance of hope and the, and the, the conviction of things unseen. So let's cling to his promises, like, like his promise that he'll begin what he started in us. His promise that nothing can separate us from his love. His promise that he will build his church. His promise that Jesus is our victory over sin and death. His promise of resurrection life. His promise to do his good work in us. The list goes on and on. And, 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 and in this context, his promise that he's with us in the storm. Which leads me to the, the second thing that should have given them assurance. His presence. The first thing is he keeps his word. The second thing is that should have given them assurance is his presence. The presence of God was physically with them in the boat. Sometimes it feels like God is sleeping, doesn't it? But he's not. He's with us. Jesus was with them in the boat, and he always will be. Later, Jesus would remind his disciples of this when he promises them that though he would be going to the cross, he would never leave them nor forsake them. And this is actually a direct quote from Deuteronomy 31.6, where the Lord says to his people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the enemy, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When we're going through trials or weighed down with anxiety, remember, that the Lord your God is with you. And even better than that, the Lord is within you. If the disciples showed us anything in the story, it's this, that we cannot be on mission for God or live in obedience without him. And this is why Jesus poured out his spirit upon his disciples on that first day of Pentecost. And it's why his spirit indwells in everyone who believes and is baptized in his name. And 2 Timothy 1.7 defines what this means for us. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And also in Romans 8.15, for it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So God is with us, and God is within us to empower us with wisdom, love, and power, and to remind us that we are children of God. He is our Father, and that means as His children, when we're following after Him and His purpose, we have nothing and no one to fear. And the path isn't always easy, though. Some, sometimes it's actually pretty difficult. And roadblocks and storms and, and persecutions may block our way or test our faith. But through it all, the Lord's always with us to strengthen us and guide us and mature us and be our comfort and peace beyond understanding in the midst of it. He's our refuge and our shield in times of trouble. As God has promised to his people many times, do not fear for I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will help you. Which brings me to the third reason the disciples could have been assured in faith on that boat. And it's the knowledge of of the past evidence of God's faithfulness toward his people. 
It seems in their moment of, of despair, because it's hard to think straight when you're afraid, right? So it seems like in their moment of despair, they'd forgotten that God has a long history of being faithful and getting his people to where they need to go. Specifically in the context of the disciple situation, one could say that God's actually in the business of getting his people to the other side, to the opposite shore. Here's some examples. God brought Noah from the flood safely to the shore. He brought Jonah safely to the shore, even after he tried to leave God and was, flown from, and was thrown from the ship. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, how did he do that? By leading them from the desert into the, option, uh, into the opposite shore of the Jordan River. And before that, he miraculously split the Red Sea so they could escape from the Egyptian army and safely get to the other side. God has a history of taking us to the other side of the shore, to where we need to go. And faith would have reminded them of this, that if he's never failed in the past, he wouldn't fail them now. In fact, the crazy thing is that there's even a psalm which mirrors their exact experience and God's faithfulness in the midst of it, which surely would have comforted them and gave them assurance in the storm had they had it in their mind. Psalm 107, 23 to 32, let me read this part to you. It says, it's crazy. It says, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Isn't it amazing how the disciples' story almost mirrors this psalm to a T? Jesus knows what he's doing here. He's teaching them this. But, but if their faith had been on the word of God, it would have reminded them of what it says here, that God brings us to our desired haven. He brings us to the shore. As Tibetiani Abuile writes, the written word, the Bible, is meant to have the same effect in our lives as it does to the winds and the waves. All right, this doesn't mean that we can simply quote scripture and it'll stop the wind, but um, like we can't be Jesus, but wouldn't that be nice living here in Lethbridge if we could do that? But what it means though is that God's word calms our soul and, and removes our fear and anxiety just as Jesus' word did to the wind and waves. As believers in Christ then, we need, we need to study and take hold of his word which reminds us of God's character and his past faithfulness so that it can be a convicting and reassuring reminder that the Lord has always protected his people as they follow him in faith, that he's always brought them to their promised destination, which means he'll continue to do that for us now and in the future. And on that note, for, for us, if Jesus died and went to hell and back for us, 
Why would he abandon us now? (laughs) He'll get us there and he'll help us in times of trouble. Whether that's in a way that's miraculous in the moment or whether it's through practical means of his grace. You know, like something with a timely financial help from a neighbor or the expertise of a doctor in the right moment or something like that depending on your circumstance, or whether it's his comfort in the moment, or through the prayer, encouragement, and help of other believers, or or some other way. Either way, we know, because the Bible tells us so, that God will come through for us, because he always has. Which leads us to the next reason that they could have and should have had assurance of faith in that moment. Faith would have reminded them that God is powerful and sovereign over all things especially the wind and the seas. Psalm 89, 8-9 is one of the many verses which remind us that God has, has authority over the wind and the seas. It says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. God has authority and sovereignty over all things. Do we believe that? Do our actions show that we believe that? When the storms rage and the chaos of the world feels consuming, do we truly believe that God is still sovereign and that he can not only calm the tide when we need him to, but that he can also work out all things for the good of those who love him according to his purpose? When we give in to fear and and become consumed by anxiety and start freaking out about what's happening, about the sinful state of the world or our our government or the difficult circumstances we're going through, whatever it is, when we start freaking out about it, that that not only causes us to make irrational and, and reactionary decisions, which usually make things worse, screaming for our lives that we're going to die or that the world's against us or, or whatever else, Right? But, but it's also a pretty good sign that we don't actually believe that God is in control. Acting on our fear is a sign that our faith is either absent or that it's misplaced and focused on the wrong things, like on the, on the chaos or idols or our own inadequacy, rather than on the sovereignty of God. Warren Wiersbe again writes, The disciples looked around and saw danger. And looked within and saw fear. But they failed to look up by faith and see God. Faith and fear cannot dwell together in the same heart. So the, so the truth is that we, we won't have courage or sound judgment in, in the midst of trials or difficult circumstances if we don't think that God is in control. And so it's only with our eyes on the one who has authority over everything especially the things we can't control ourselves, that's when we'll be able to stand firm and move forward in our calling as his disciples. With our eyes on him, we can actually be like Jesus in the boat, that non-anxious presence in the chaos, not freaking out and acting on impulses, screaming for our lives, but actually able to make calm and wise and selfless and loving and patient, God-fearing decisions. As a quick side note, I just want to mention that we've been given sound judgment so that we don't mistake having no fear as permission to act foolish. Does that make sense? Many people have said, I'm not afraid, 
right before they, they placed themselves in needless situations and got themselves killed, right? So make no mistake, we still have that God-given instinctual fear and, and that wisdom and sound judgment of God, which tells us rightly not to, let's say, jump in a tank full of sharks, right? Or, 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 or you know, to stay in the water if a bunch of sharks are coming. Be like, no, I got faith. I'm gonna, God's going to protect me. And then you get eaten by sharks, right? Or, or jump out of a plane without a parachute or, or to ask everyone in the grocery store to cough on you in the middle of a pandemic or, or you know, or, or to refuse to get medical help when it's available to help your ailment or, or, or to practice snake handling as some do in the South or, or to jump off the roof of the temple as Satan tried to get Jesus to do in order to prove his faith as the son of God, which he didn't do because that's not faith. That's foolishness. Putting ourselves in needless and dangerous situations isn't practicing faith. That's called testing God, which we're told not to do. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But anyways, that's just a side note. Back to the main message, which is that in those potentially fear-inducing moments that, that come upon us or are forced upon us, or that God places upon us, as we're following God's will, this should be our prayer. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, my God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. This should be our prayer. We should memorize this. Behold, my God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Behold, my God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Let's say that together. Behold, my God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. That should be our prayer. Because when we trust, we will not fear. But when fear does take a hold of us, because at times it will. We're not perfect. At times, fear will take a hold of us. So, and when it does, let that not lead us to be ashamed or, or embarrassed for our lack of faith but rather to take pause and reflect. Let those, let those moments lead us to cry out to Jesus. Like the man who desired, desired his son to be healed, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. As we're reminded in Philippians, God wants us to bring our anxieties and our requests to him. We get to bring our fear and anxieties to him. And then we'll find that this is how he'll answer. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. This is God's promise of assurance for us as his church, as his children. It's why we persevere, and it's how we persevere. By being upheld by his righteous right hand, which, by the way, is who? Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, who because of his victory over sin and death at the cross now sits at the right hand of God with all authority over heaven and earth, where he now forgives us by his grace, where he seals and empowers us with his spirit, where he upholds and intercedes for us and lovingly empathizes with us in our weakness, but as one who did not sin. We don't have to fear because we stand in the victory and grace and the authority of his righteous right hand. 
And I think this is what the disciples began to realize after they see him powerfully and authoritatively calm the storm with his word. Instantly, their fear of the storm shifts into a healthy and humble fear of the Lord. As they turn to one another and ask, who is this who can even calm the waves and the wind and they obey him? I think they know the answer. In fact, in the way they phrase their question, it's almost as if they're quoting Psalm 89, which we read earlier. Who is as mighty as you are, the one who rules the raging of the sea? Who is this who commands the waves and the wind? It can only be the Lord. And it is the Lord. They're beginning to realize in that moment who Jesus truly is. Because in that moment, Jesus displayed to them that he is God incarnate. The word become flesh. And furthermore, that he cares for them. That he'd never forsake them. And that he would fulfill his promise and purpose in them. And in the same way as we follow after Jesus, this means we can also walk in faith and without fear without fear of punishment, without fear of death, without fear of man, without fear of being let down or abandoned by God, without fear of being alone, without fear of shame or of not being forgiven or not loved, without fear of the enemy. Because the Lord is faithful. He's with us. He's sovereign over us. His spirit is in us and his promise for us will endure. He will take us to the other side. He will take us through the storm to the other side. And he'll continue to do so until the day when he comes again in glory, when we find ourselves crossing into that final shore of paradise, into the eternal haven we all long for, the one which Jesus already died and removed our sins for, the new Jerusalem. So in conclusion, then, we can take heart and not be afraid knowing that in and through any trial or difficult circumstance or crisis, he's in control and he's there in spirit and in truth, drawing us closer to him, bringing us into a place of maturity and above all, speaking to the sin and chaos in our hearts and in our lives with authority and power, those simple and freeing words of rebuke, be still. So as we live for him then and proclaim his good news to others, as we live out the purpose he has for us, let us do it with faith and power and boldness and love and sound judgment with courage as children of God. All the while keeping in our hearts and minds what the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 1, 7 to 10. Again, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in his suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Because he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and his grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death 
and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus Christ made his, his timeless authority and power very evident on that day in the boat. And it's a reminder that he holds it all in his hands, right? Even, and it points us to, to his ultimate victory over sin and death, which invites us by grace to walk in that authority and power. A reminder that he alone has saved us and that he alone is faithful to empower us and complete his work in us. Just as he'd later tell his disciples, in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. <laughs>